This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. So let me welcome to the show. He has a book. It's called The Jewish Phenomenon, Seven Keys to Enduring Wealth of a People. Yep, he has it here. We may give away a copy. I don't know. He's This one's got all kinds of noties in it. Uh, maybe Take a message and I'll Okay, uh, all right, there it. we go. Let me welcome to the show CPA, MBA, Senior Director of Marketing at Plymouth Direct, Stephen Silbiger. Hello. Hi, how are you? Doing well. So you asked the question when you came in. I said, I don't spill the seed during these breaks. <laughs> we can talk about your family. We can talk about the weather. But what I will not talk about is what we're going to talk about on the show. Okay. So you had a question. You can ask it publicly. I just said, how did you find out about the book? So here's what we do here. Um, every day I'm challenged with how to feed the people. And when Larie is here, and this is why you're here on a Wednesday, Larie Favors, Larie Daniel Favors right there, (laughs) we often talk about community building, and we talk about world building, and we talk about how we can empower ourselves. And we've been on this kind of train about education and financial security and all of this, and and this is Wellness Wednesday, but we take a detour on wellness in a way for spiritual wellness. So when I was out there searching, I came across your book, it might have been in a blog or something, and I said, hey... This guy got seven keys to tell you why Jewish people are successful. I wonder if they can be transferable. So as I'm reading, you said they can be transferable. So I said, let's invite them on and have a conversation. Let's make sure Larie is here. I downloaded your book into my um, Kindle and started reading it. And that's why you're here today. Excellent. Yeah. So welcome again. All right. All right. Let me ask you why, why, why are you giving away the secrets? Because you know, y'all usually don't be giving away secrets, Stephen. <laughs> ah, I was playing with you. All right. Hey, I believe it's uh, you know story of a people of success and what have you, but it can be shared by everybody. Mm. My actually the biggest sp- uh, speaking engagement was in Miami at a Baptist church, the New Life Baptist Church, and on a Wednesday actually, around two hundred people showed up, mm. and that's where I learned that the book has been embraced by the mm. African American community, yeah. uh, completely unknown to me. Okay, so what what sparked you to write it? Because you know, again, I've I've been in this space. I used to. I don't even want to get into some of my best friends or whatever. But there there's kind of a. Uh, an understanding that there is my my dad used to work in Newark. Well, he, he was born in Newark in the 1940s, and um, he learned a lot working in in a chicken store. And a lot of the lessons that he learned, he applied, and it was one of the secrets to his success. And it was at the feet of a, a Jewish businessman, right? So, okay. um, so I so I I understand a lot, you know. But there's very little kind of grabbing people by the hand and saying, here's how it's done. You do this in this book. I do. Um, you asked uh, how, how I came up with the idea. The idea came up, we were watching the last episode of Seinfeld, and we started talking about how much money Jerry made and all the other people, what a big enterprise it was, and we started listing these Jewish comedians, and there are a lot. Mm. Then we list Jewish you know, singers and then Jewish businessmen. And then somebody go, whoa, that's kind of controversial. Jewish businessmen, Jews and money is a controversial subject. Mm. And then I started thinking about it, like, what is this all about? And then I developed my seven keys, and then I went and did the research to to back them up. And again, the, secret, the, the secretiveness about money 
is with a purpose. You know, when we I, I was talking about Crystal Knock yesterday, mm. um, and when you go throughout the history of of the world, you'll find that Jewish people you know, have figured out how to go anywhere in the world and come together and, and create industry and self-sufficiency out of necessity. Yes. But what that has also done is made you a target, right? So this Correct. is why you're su- supremely quiet about these things and you don't talk about your wealth and you don't talk about how you get wealthy because to do so makes you um, hyperly targeted. And when you don't have numbers, which you point out in this book, you have to figure out ways to, to survive. To make to, it happen. Right, right. So I get it. So I'm, I'm saying this to say that. But it's important, right, that we know how. So let's let's just go down to seven Okay, Let's go we'll down just to seven, go down seven to one. keys. So, number one. All right, number one is real wealth is portable. It's knowledge. So as you were talking about before, getting a good education is kind of like the base of real wealth because it's portable. You might have to move, might have to leave mm. the country. They can take away your money. They can try to do everything. But if it's in your head, you know, it's yours. It's mm. yours. Number two, take care of your own and they'll take care of you. Come on with it. Sorry, you might get a lot of that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mean to startle you, but yes. Well, that one. He did jump. That was was pretty funny. (laughs) So not only taking care of Jewish people, other Jewish businesses and patronizing your own, you also support the subjects and the goals of your people that transcend Mm. like civil rights Mm. those type of things because if they're coming after somebody else the next person they're coming after you that's right can we pause on that one for a second thank you because that second point with the second point of the second point yeah seems to be missing with this generation Mm. i don't i we're in new york and i've run into quite a few people from the jewish faith who are trump supporters oh you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no. Who are anti-immigration, who are anti... And this has not been the hallmark because the NAACP was founded primarily blacks, Jewish people. A lot of the a lot of the industries in our community, very much collaborative effort. And we can, you know, discuss layers and levels of that. But this generation, I don't see the, the coming together around these issues, which you're right. You know, I don't know, you know, what you have seen and Jewish people pretty much follow into the Democratic Party, 80 percent at least. So you might be seeing some real outliers. Uh, but I okay. saw I saw the convention, the Trumpy convention, and I did see those those African-American people. Of course, there was maybe five or six of them. And they point them out each time they could well, possibly they're standing do. right behind them and then they have exactly. a sign yep. uh-huh point <laughs> to me blacks for trump blacks for trump is one right. person right. though it was really right. only one person or if right. you're hispanic yeah. or yeah. whatever yeah. no way so no they way. do highlight the outliers a lot okay um but go ahead i have i have a I have okay some general all right well, i'll let him go down all, all, the all right number three <laughs> sure number three is successful people are professionals and entrepreneurs so dovetailing off of the the knowledge and getting an education, because choose a profession that has a possibility of doing well. And if that doesn't quite work so out, if you want to be an artist because you love art. That yes, that may not work. So. No, but in the Jewish phenomenon about the wealth of a people, it's not just money wealth. Mm-hmm. There's a whole area about artists as well. That's just as valuable. But if you're going to pursue art, 
do it 100%, 110%. Make it a business. Make it a business. Mm. Take care of it. Talk to people. So Not you, just, just art for the sake of feeling altruistic or, or artsy in that moment, having a business sense to underline the creation of the art. Maybe that's stage two. But mm. of course, you have to be inspired for Yes, art. but you don't want to just stay in inspiration. You want to have a, a business plan to have right. monetize and, and live off of the art. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Uh, fourth is develop your verbal self-confidence. So how many Jewish people are involved being lawyers and in the arts and singers and composers and all that type of thing? That's, you know, Broadway. Mm. That's kind of where it's at and where if you look, especially in that area, it's going to uh, see a lot of Jewish people. And I want to make us one thing we didn't talk about. In New York, you have a really odd view of what Jewish people are. Because it's a high concentration. Right. Jewish people in the United States are less than 2%. Right. Very, very different situation when you come into New York, or maybe 25, 30%. Yeah, in California. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I would like to push back on that, but that's not why you're here. No. Um, Because I also think, you know, one of the ways that you're ubiquitous is not necessarily being visible. It's going back to what I was saying in the beginning. That's by design, too. Because mm-hmm. if if you remain at a certain number and you're only two percent, I'm just saying if you're only two percent, then it becomes easier to you know. Anyway, I don't want to get into that, but I want I do want to say as you as you talk about developing self confident con- confidence, speaking things into creation and and saying about your chosen people and all mm-hmm. that's an empowering thing, and then being lawyers and at the same time in the position to produce images that go out into the world and you control the intellectual property and then you control the distribution channel, then the messaging becomes very, you know, empowered and you get to control it. And that's an important thing to control the messaging about yourself. Mm. (sighs) All right. Go ahead. Number five. Number five, be selectively extravagant, but pervasively frugal. So things... Wait, Wait, hold on, repeat that. One more time. One more time. Be selectively extravagant, but pervasively frugal. So what that means, you have some certain things that you really are think are important and spend on those. But all the things you don't really take to heart aren't super important to you. Don't spend on those things. So that when you have something that's important to you, you're gonna have and say you are an artist. Have your tools, right, right. have your instruments, right. you know, what have you. Mm. If it comes to uh, your education, do the best that you can. And I know nowadays it's super expensive. Yeah. So, yeah, mm. that's where it comes in. I, don't, um, I used to do a radio show with a rabbi um, from Crown Heights, and he had 10 kids. Mm. And he would spend a lot of money on their clothes. Mm. And, yeah, and I was like, what is that about? He said, uh, hand-me-downs need to last. And I was like, at least five yeah, of those 10 right, children need right. to be able to participate. Whereas I come from a place where, you know, the dollar store or whatever, you know, you, you would clothe those 10 kids with cheap things. He was like, no, the more you spend on quality things, it will last mm. for these 10 kids, the next, the next, the next, the next. And I was like, brilliant. Thank you. And I learned something. Go ahead. Number, uh, number six. Number six. Take pride in individuality and encourage creativity. It's okay to stand out. It's okay to be not one of the crowd. And to be creative is to create new wealth, ne- not necessarily money, but wealth of creativity, songs, 
uh, artistry, writing books like I did, what have you. But it's good to be creative, always thinking about ideas. And then not only thinking about them and kind of like your show, doing them. Mm. And that's the next step. Yeah, actually doing things. Number seven. Number seven. Be psychologically driven to prove something. Mm. That's like that Mm. X factor. Your parents expect you to be successful. Your community expects you to be successful. Your friends expect you to be successful. Your teachers Mm. expect you to be successful. And guess what? You need to do that and you need to prove them. And the people who are doubting you got to prove them wrong. wrong. That's right. Exactly. And those are the seven. That's it. Before we get to Lori, because I know Lori's going, she's she's going to go all in. Let me just let me just learn something about Stephen Silbiger is here, uh, author of the Jewish Phenomenon: Seven Keys to the Enduring Wealth of a People. What's your background? Who, where are you from? I'm originally from Kansas City. Kansas City, one of the places where you were saying in your book, Jewish people don't aren't really there. There are so a y'all land in Kansas, Dorothy. It's like uh, it's not Kansas anymore. My dad got a job there, and that's where that's where I uh, grew up. Uh, what took me out of Kansas City was going to business school at the University of Virginia. Now, was it expected for you to go to business school? What were your options growing up in that ho- household? Definitely go to school. And I went undergrad to the University of Kansas, got a degree in accounting, uh, did that for three years at Arthur Anderson. And then I was looking at what's going on here at this uh, big accounting firm. And there were no Jewish partners. There were Jewish middle managers, but no Jewish partners. So is this a place where I'm going to dedicate my life? Mm. No. And I saw all my smartest uh, seniors all went to business school. And that's where it happened. Um, Malcolm Gladwell writes, mm. I think it's in Outliers, about the phenomenon of the Jewish lawyer and that, and how that came about because of the firms not you know, accepting Jewish people in. And so they focused on certain areas of law mm-hmm. in New York and built their own firms and, and mastered those particular areas, you know, because mm-hmm. that was the one way that you can, you know, expand your universe in that space of law. Yeah, they went in areas that weren't the popular areas, taxation law, labor law, those type of things that other, those large, you know, uh, Gentile firms uh, went after, it did not go after, that's where they went. And that's where the opportunity was. And those were expanded But they created an industry around it. Yes. They didn't just go in and then created their own businesses around it because if you're not gonna let me in, I'm gonna find another way, which is the lesson I think that, you know, we should be taking from that as well. Go ahead, Marie. When you were younger, so going back to Kansas City, because um, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the concept of Jewish school. Did you attend any type of Jewish school programming, or were you, was that even available in a space where there were so few? There were, I believe, like 5,000 Jewish people in Kansas City. Uh, I went Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. We were just talking about it because mm. it's the High Holy Week yeah, today. Yeah, that's right. right. So, Happy oh, New yeah. Year. Yeah. Thank you. It, so, yes, Tuesday, you know, Thursday, and Sunday. And we had to learn Hebrew. Mm. And we were studying Bible and all that type of thing. But what it did teach me, not only how to read Hebrew, but not actually understanding it. You can mm-hmm. vocalize and read those words, mm-hmm. but not really understand them. But it taught me to study. Mm. and got you to how to memorize things and that type of thing. So it did have an impact for sure. And 
even when it came to Bible study, it was okay to ask questions. Hmm. It was okay to be heretical and say, that doesn't make sense. Hmm. And that's part of Jewishness, you know, always challenging authority, don't accept what people say and kind of going the other way. So I had had this conversation with, um, there was a, a, a gentleman who was um, in the leadership at Medgar Evers College, phenomenal guy, um, and hey, Jerry Postman. Um, and he had uh, read some work that I had done and, and some questions I was raising about African-centered school spaces, which are loosely in my mind and in the mind of the people that I work with, kind of modeled on a Hebrew school type of space. And he put me in touch with this woman from... Um, his synagogue, and she was just wonderful. Hey, Gladys. Um, And we ended up having this conversation about Hebrew school. And she says to me, you know, Laurie, it's not that people love Hebrew school. Like, Mm -mm. nobody, like, because in my mind, I was like, oh, it's amazing. Young Jewish children, they go to these spaces, they learn about being Jewish and the culture. And And she said, no, nobody likes it. If they don't do it and learn the information, they don't get the money at the bar mitzvahs and the bat. So she's breaking down how there are all these incentives built into prioritizing learning about yourself and prioritizing learning about your own community. And that for me was like, okay, ding, light bulb, because when we're talking about being a very, um, a minority within a very large space, which may or may not be hostile to you, having spaces where your young people in particular can go to have that Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, or whatever it may be, dedicated space to really go in on what is our particular history? What is our particular language? And and how do we approach the world with our philosophy? What do we think about it? How do we inculcate these seven uh, guys or seven principles into who we are as a people? And having that space, I think it's just so sacred. And when you are a part of a group that is typically um, exposed to attack and you are outnumbered, right? Because 2% tonight, like there, there's not a whole lot of numerical capacity there. You have to be able to develop a strength from within that can kind of inculcate you from that. So I just thank Thank you for sharing that. But I always am fascinated by how and I don't like to compare struggle, but I think that groups that have experienced horror in the past can often look to each other for inspiration and and think about how other groups have approached different issues and think about how we can apply those lessons to our own. So, so. Yeah. No, and it impacted my family. Uh, my family was from Germany. Mm. Half of my family uh, went to Brazil, which is a beautiful country. The other half got into Bolivia, and they couldn't come into the United States quickly. Mm. And so they spent some years because they weren't able to get uh, visas to come to the United States. So they didn't just there let were you quotas. In? There were quotas in those times, yeah. uh, quotas limiting the number of Jews. So Wait, so pause for a second. Yeah. I'm often getting to this battle. That's why that's another one of those anti-Trump things. That's why immigration is a very, very important but thing. Because millions ma- le- died because mm. they Got weren't allowed back. in. Right. Yeah. Vast majority of Jewish people identify as white, which always troubled me. And I always said, if you were white, they would have let you in. Mm. So why didn't they let you in? Mm. Right. But but the identity to whiteness is interesting to me because when they run out of brown people, mm. Mm-hmm. Mr. Silbiger. Yeah. So how do we get that through as well? Because, you know, I'll get like some hostile responses. I'm like, you're not white. No, of course I'm white. And I'm like, here are the facts, <laughs> you know. Well, it's not so much a race, but more like a tribe because mm-hmm. you're sharing a homeland. Mm-hmm. You share a language would be Hebrew. You share a religion. Uh, your skin may be white. Uh, you may have some feet. Uh, sorry, you might have some features that might be distinctive, 
but it's not a race. And that's why when there was a lot of discrimination, especially in the United States, Jewish people passed as mm. not Jewish. They right, changed but, their but, names. So then it must be a race, right? So, uh, so because because if that, if and again, race is a made up construct. No, yeah. no, Let me exactly. just say that. Race is a, there's no such thing as white. There's no such thing as black. There isn't. There just isn't. But but we we ascribe these characteristics and these things. But again, you know, if if you're able to pass, right? Because mm-hmm. I've I've read a lot of Nazi history, and they would make people pull down their pants to prove that they were Jewish because you were circumcised, right? Mm-hmm. And so there were there are mon- markers that will boom, and they were able to you know through the IBM system. <laughs> you know, identify who was and who wasn't and and some of it had to do with the tribalism and b- being in certain mm-hmm. areas of town or what have you segregated yes. right which is self-segregated right mm-hmm. for the most part Jews. and others there were like if you go to like rome or what have you there's jewish ghettos where they had That's to where live in- the ghetto they were yeah. ghetto started right mm-hmm. it was yeah. an italian word um, talk to that a little bit and, and how you protect yourself moving forward, because I, I believe those times aren't over. I believe that what happened in Nazi Germany can happen again. I don't think that it's impossible. Matter of fact, I think it's very plausible as we look at kids in cages and a host of other climates mm. that are going on in aclo- across the globe. You know, I just watched this piece on Christchurch, New Zealand, mm. which are you kidding me? You know, like the there's a lot happening. It can happen again. How do you protect yourself? Vote. Mm. Go out and register and vote so the catastrophe that happened in 2016 doesn't happen, that we need to turn it around. That's that's how you do it. Well, Hitler was voted in. Yeah, but he, we're in the United States of America, and we can change and Trump things. was voted in, uh, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, by 80,000 people <laughs> yeah. in three All states. Right. And not and, the popular vote. Right, that's true, that's exactly. True. Oh, so it's, it's, that's a whole nother. Uh, yeah. That's why you have to be active. You have to take action. I'm a committee person of the Democratic Party where I live, so I do that canvassing. I pass out that literature. Mm. And... Yeah, I thought Hillary won that night. You she know? did. And technically, technically, she, she did but, win the popular vote. Yeah, but it wasn't a. It didn't get a win. It wasn't a win. Yeah. So yeah. there you yeah. go. Unfortunately, so, um, go it's it's funny the conversation about race and Judaism. I was mm. at an event. Um, we're launching a, a hate crimes prevention initiative at the Center for Law and Social Justice. And one of the things that we're going to be focusing on is the black LGBTQ community, particularly black trans women who are some of the most, uh, who are victimized some of at high, some of the highest rates as it pertains to hate crimes, but also black Jewish community members um, who are also victimized by hate crimes. And at, at this, I found there's actually a conference on November 21st, the ADL is sponsoring, where they're going to have a whole panel looking at race within the Jewish diaspora because you have Ethiopian Jews, you have, you have black Black Jews here. You have when I was in the Dominican Republic, Dominican Jews. Like you have, so Jewish people show up in every race and in every society because it's a religion, a, reli- a, a tribe, a culture, right. a, a, a grouping. Right. Yes, um, that share those things. Yeah, too. yeah. And so when you think about the way that race even infiltrates into how we think about who is a tribe and what. Who gets to be a part of that? Who gets to be tribe. a part of that tribe? Because even within the, the 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 nation of Israel, there are issues with regards to racism as it shows up vis-a-vis the Falasha Jews and the Ethiopian Jews. So you know there are all of these issues still translate across religious cultural mm-hmm. lines in ways that I think allow for us to really have a whole lot more affinity with each other by learning these types of principles and having these types of dialogues. Because I think there is so much that we can learn from how other people are doing things, both positive and, and not. Right. 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 Look at him looking at me. All right. Number one, <laughs> no. real, real wealth is portable. 
I love that. You can take it anywhere and it's yours forever. Um, take care of your own and they will take care of you. Number two. Number three, professional people. You should have a profession or entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Number four, develop verbal self-confidence. When you say that, is that like an affirmation? Not only that, like you were talking about bar mitzvah, you know, as you're preparing for that, it focuses on you. You have to go before the temple. You have to memorize. You're the sole focus that day. Uh, so a 13 or in the case of a girl, 12-year-old, uh, right? 13, I think about 12, 13. I thought um, the bat mitzvah was at 12. I don't girl. believe so. Okay. Bar mitzvah is definitely at 13. Yes. Uh, you have to go before everyone, in front of everyone, and say your, speak from the Torah. Right, read your Torah portion. You have a speech as well to your parents and to the, to the, uh, to the congregation. Uh, there's other things that go on, but you're individually but it's ritualized. Out. Yes. And every kid has to do this. And it yes. is a rite of passage. It is. You are not a man until you do this. Right. And some people, that is what inspires them to be performers. Mm. You know, that's like this. I feel like this is me. Mm. Other people be frightened and say, this is definitely not me. Yeah. I will become that accountant. You know? mm. <laughs> uh, mm. Number five. What is it? Selectively extravagant, but pervasively frugal. Pervasively frugal. Yeah. Uh, six. Number six. Take pride in individuality. Encourage creativity. And number seven. The X factor. Be psychologically driven to prove something. These are the Kwanzaa principles. Are they? I just realized. So you've got Ujama, Umo, oh, Janiya, Ujichakalia, Ujima, Kuumba, and Imani. Like these are like the all of these principles. So the Kwanzaa principles are the seven principles that are affiliated with Kwanzaa, um, which is a, a holiday, a period of week long celebration after Christmas and right at it ends at the end, New Year, seven days of honoring these principles. It's um, and we and I won't go into all of it, but. Each of these principles that you've outlined are also fitting very neatly within the principles that are laid out. Collective work and responsibility, um, uh, Nia, purpose, faith, Iman. Like these are all things that are here. And it just reminds me, again, lessons that can be learned. <laughs> like it is important to have principles and it is important to recognize that those principles can show up in a multiple ways and use them for the furtherance of a people in addition to holiday time. I love it. Mm. And, and to build, blend in a holiday. What what year is it on the Jewish calendar? 5780. And everyone it, knows this. Rosh Hashanah. And well, they is, say it so at the Sukkot, temple. So we got Sukkot. We have um, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is comes next, next. Month. Yeah, that's on the 8th, I think. Uh -huh. um, is there a rhythm to that as well? Why they happen in succession around September and October? Uh, I, I don't know. Okay. All right. I'm just asking no. steven still bigger um cpa how how does your training as a cpa show up in your life and are you wealthy uh i have made quite a bit of money through entrepreneurial efforts and my books my first book was the 10-day mba which has sold phenomenal numbers of copies uh just like it being creative being writing what have you even like what I do for my day job, finding new products and advertising. You have to run the numbers. Marketing can be creative, but you have to run the numbers. So and that's if it doesn't been make dollars, it don't make sense. But on foam. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. Okay. And this book is old, oldish, right? This is a, a 2009. Yeah. And it first came out in 99. I updated it. Okay. Yeah. And it is called the seven, uh, excuse me, the Jewish phenomenon, seven keys to the enduring wealth of a people. Have you gotten any backlash for doing this? No. Uh, it's on Amazon. It sold well at the very beginning and continues to sell well. 
And oddly enough, as I found out, is the African-American community is the one who's really embraced the book, mm. as I that found out. That makes perfect out. sense to Yeah. Me. I mean, because yeah. our, our culture was stripped from us. So right. for, for many right. black Americans and uh, those from the global majority who happen to be um, have a bondage connection in America, there's no connection to language, culture, all these principles that I know we had. Mm-hmm. I know we had them, mm-hmm. um, even down to the naming, you know, all that. I'm wearing a, a bracelet right now that says a Kosoa, which means mm-hmm. born on Sunday. I know that, that that may not be the native tongue, but this is the best I can do. So we're cobbling it together. Whereas for some and maybe you can tell me why the, the Jewish faith has been able to for sent for millennia, probably for been, 50, 57, right. 5,780 years. Right. Yes. Been <laughs> able to keep these intact, no matter through Holocaust, through all kinds of genocide. Cause it's not the first, that wasn't the first or the second. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Uh, I don't know how, but the religion is kind of like the glue that holds mm. it all together. And some of these principles are in the African-American community mm-hmm. for sure. And I saw that recent uh, uh, show by Professor Gates about reconstruction. Yeah. And those yeah. communities were super strong and they were performing all that's these right. type yes, of things. Right. And that was taken away from them by lynchings and what have yeah. you. So they right after slavery ended, it, things were going in a really good way right. and then got taken away. So. Things would have been gone differently. People would have just left us the that, hell alone. Right. If, <laughs> if those 40 acres would have really been right. given to everybody. Right. Or not even right. the 40 acres. But just still, leave us alone. Right. Stop yeah. killing us. Please let us live. Yes. yes. Uh, let me yeah. let me ask you this. Um, as a person sitting on the outside, when you look at the black community, what, you know, because there's always this juxtaposition. People always see a different lens when they're looking out in. Mm-hmm. What do you see? I see people getting awoken. I see people that are understanding in the in the United States that economic empowerment really is super important and education is uh, being embraced, but it's a process and it's not a quick thing to turn around. You're talking about several thousands of years of Jer- Jewish culture and acculturation. So maybe in 50 years, 100 years, mm. 200 years, it's going to happen. But it just doesn't happen overnight. Okay. I asked you a question about um, protection. I I feel like we're living in a society, we were talking this week about civil war because the president tweeted about it. Yeah, the president tweeted about it because one of his uh, advocates, uh, who was a pastor, said that we're heading towards another civil war. And I said, what would that look like? So we had a conversation because that's what we do here. What protection can we have? Because we can't pass. We can't just blend in and change our last name. You know, we 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 stick out. Whether like you a, have Indian in your hair, you, whatever. Whether you have good hair, <laughs> light skin, or not. Yeah, the, the, we we are unapologetically what we look like, and it makes it easy. This is why race was invented, right? Mm-hmm. Because it makes it easy to target. It's harder to target you, right? I don't really quite know. Maybe you might be. I don't. You could be Italian. I don't know. German. I don't know. You're black, Lori. This is true. All right. So what? What advice would you have? Again, you know, we're in the United States of America. You keep saying that as if that's different. But it's the vote. (laughs) I mean, things would be different. Things would be in a better path. That craziness would not have been happening this week. We'd be in a different situation. And unless you're going to take arms, which I'm against uh, arms. But yeah, um, it's about taking control of your government. 
Mm. It's about voting and what have you. So what I've been talking about all the time. Mm. Yeah. And it, it was when I was down there at the the Baptist Temple, the uh, the new birth Baptist Temple, I remember in Miami, they pointed out that their board of supervisors and they asked the said, Who do you think our supervisors are? You know, all our tax money goes to, you know, Broward County and all such. And you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Who controls that? And nobody knew. He says, Well, there's four Jewish grandmothers, older Jewish ladies, controlling our money. So mm-hmm. why are these ladies involved with controlling the money? And you wonder why our schools aren't taken care of. And you wonder why our streets aren't taken care of. It's the vote. Right. And, and, and instead of demonizing the Jewish women yes. for being in a position, because that, that becomes an easy thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, they, they them, 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 right. them. Ask the question, why aren't we in control? Right. Like the question should come Run back. for the office. Why haven't, yeah, why haven't we put up candidates? Why right. aren't we canvassing? Why aren't we making sure that our communities, how did Flint happen? Why Why are these people determining what kind of water I get? Why aren't we showing up for juries? We just had the Amber Geiger case um, where the police officer, former police officer from Dallas was convicted. And I tweeted out five black people were on the jury. Mm-hmm. Five Hispanic, there were only two whites and a black judge. Uh, both of them, John, was going to get some sort of, not justice, but there was going to be accountability because there were people sitting on that jury that understood all that went into Amber Geiger killing a man in his own home eating ice cream. That, mm. was, that was a problem. Mm. So this is important, too. And if you remember, AOC won her, you know, her position by some really hard work canvassing knocking on doors and she beat an incumbent democrat that had been there for years uh was one of the major party people That's in right. the democratic party so there's a availability if yeah. you want to take it it's and not going to be given it's not given no, That's right. Never given. It. but even if you're not the person who was going to run for that particular office knowing that those four grandmothers had the control that should not be revelatory news right mm. if we know how the government <laughs> in our in our local spaces work we should know who those four people are and we should be having a relationship and conversation not a point my finger at you right. but uh here's what the community demands right and here's what we do this, then, then we right. are going to find a way to replace you. Thank you for your service. Good day. And so that type of engagement, the control of your government, because a lot of times you hear people hear the word vote and they their eyes glaze over. But voting, all, everything that is behind the word voting is what you said. Take control of your government. Because the reality is those four grandmothers could actually service the community right. if mm-hmm. put in a position to be accountable That's to right. the needs. I'm not going to say just because somebody is not from my culture that they can't govern properly. Right. Especially if I'm just now finding out that there is a position that can be held by people that can go. So it's like I have there is some responsibility if we're going back to the seven principles. There is some responsibility for me to have that type of knowledge about the systems under which I live. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I appreciate you, Stephen Silbiger. You are now grafted in. See what I just did? (laughs) The book is The Jewish Phenomenon, Seven Keys to the Enduring Wealth of a People. But it's deeper than that. It is bigger than that. And I thank you for being here.